When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hello, I'm Steph. And welcome to episode four of our motherhood series for the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I am recording this in our warehouse in Gloucestershire. Um, we're picking up as we head towards Mother's Day at the end of March, which is our busiest time of year. I've started to do this about five times and there's been a pallet truck or some sort of courier delivery, but I'm going to power through this time. Um, I would like to just say, if you're looking for a lovely gift for mum or granny that has a bit of TLC, have a look at don'tbuyherflowers.com um, that is our website and I am exceptionally proud of what we do so go and have a look and see for yourselves and we are working with Homestart UK again this year donating £1 from every Mother's Day order to Homestart UK who are a charity who have trained volunteers and um, expert support. They help families with young children going through tough times. So they say themselves, being a parent has never been easy and it can be lonely, frustrating, heartbreaking and overwhelming. So they support families who might have postnatal depression in the household, um, isolation, physical health problems, bereavement. And basically the care they offer to families is really individual depending on what they need. So they're amazing charity. I'm really pleased that we're working with them again. And my guest on this episode is Sarah Guanyoma, who is What Sarah Read Next on Instagram, um, which is where she recommends and reviews books, she talks to authors, and she also shares her colourful, beautiful life in Fiji with her son. When we recorded this, she had like sun streaming through the window behind her as I was sat in miserable cold London. Um, she recently had an article in Red, um, and it's been a tough one. She's gone through baby loss and IVF, and she became a widow and a single mum overnight in 2017 when her husband Tim died of a heart attack when she was in another country. And she talks about her experience and what she learned, and also has some advice about grieving and talks about how it really felt for her. Um, and her advice about just getting through the next five minutes um, and we also talk about the joy and changing career and walking, working out what you want from life um, she's pretty magnificent I have to say and um, just a warning that this episode includes discussion about baby loss and death and grief uh, so over to Sarah 
Yeah, so good to be sitting down and chatting to you. I know. Well, I was following you because of all your book stuff and just finding out, because obviously we sell books and it's always really good to see what people are recommending and you really specialise in kind of making sure you cover off loads of different authors and diversity and stuff. So I was following you and then you did your post about motherhood and your story and I was like bloody yeah. hell there's yeah. a lot you've gone through so much <laughs> it's like okay well I think we should probably yeah. have a chat I've taken a lot for the team yeah as you said yeah, exactly man oh man I guess to start with you are in what looks like beautifully sunny yeah. Fiji it's not always like this but yeah at this time of year it's cyclone season right up until it's from like November to April and so right now we're still in the bosom of cyclone season but you get mornings like this which are pretty incredible. So you were born in Uganda right and then you from about 18 months you lived in the UK in London. That's correct yeah so I'm born in Uganda and then my parents moved to the UK when I was like 18 months Mm -hmm. and so yeah grew up South Londoner so we lived in Battersea to kick off and then I mean I went away to school from about the age of 11 and so I went I came back to do like my master's in London and so like my grown-up house I call it my grown-up house (laughs) was actually in Camden so before leaving to come to Fiji I was living in Camden but then you what happened because you ended up in Fiji I did. So, yeah. So I just basically split up with a guy that was an absolute douchebag. <laughs> basically, I just had an ectopic pregnancy, sort mm. of really awful kind of saga with him. And he ended up being a douche because basically, like, he just wanted now to do with me, which is like absolute douche behavior. Mm. And so I just had lunch with girlfriends. They were sort of like celebrating the fact that I basically was alive. Because, like, ectopic is a serious yeah. thing. I mean, a, I didn't know I was pregnant. B, it was kind of like just lost the tube. You're like, what? <laughs> You know, one day at some point, I want to be a mum. Flopian shoot baby man, gone. Yeah. And so this lunch was like, wow, Sarah G, you've survived. Yeah. And then I was like, do you know what, girls? Why don't we go back to mine and just have like a big night? And so we went back and I was living with two guys at the time and we got back and my house was just full of men. There was like a rugby final going on. I think it was England, South Africa or something. So we were like, no, we're going to basically gate crash this man rugby party. And so lo and behold, there was this mouthy Aussie was part of this crew. And so he was giving it all like lots of, you know, no, 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 And I was giving it back because it's like, you know, I was heckling back. We basically ended up stuff chatting. And then the rest is kind of sort of a long, big roller coaster of a history because we basically ended up getting together. And then it turns out that like, you know, he just basically got offered this job in Fiji and he was leaving in six weeks. And he was like, what do you want to come along? I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> why not? Because I was also like in that stage where, like I said, like I've just come out of this really awful period of my life. And I was like, wow, here I've met this really awesome guy. Did you go thinking, oh, I want to be with him? Or did you go thinking, well, this is an opportunity. I'm, I'll go and see what happens. Well, bit of yeah. both. Like I really liked yeah. him. We like really, like we, we had a lot, you know, in common and, my friends were kind of like, oh, really, Sarah? And my family, like six weeks, this is, whoa. But I, you know, you just go with your gut. Yeah. I'm very much a believer of kind of like your gut and your heart are your sort of your engines in mm. life. And so I was like, well, let's do it. If it doesn't work out, I can always come back. But like, what about an adventure? Yeah. And then that was the beginning of this long adventure with Tim. And so he was working in development. I was also working in development. It took me a few months to kind of get a job. And I ended up working with this really cool HIV AIDS organization. Mm. And I'd done some HIV AIDS work, you know, back in the day. And so it all sort of fitted in really nicely. And so, yeah, we got married here. And we basically, when I wanted to get pregnant, like on the night, you know, 
I, I was like, right, this is it, right, we got it out of the way, let's let's just get on it. <laughs> but obviously it doesn't happen like that. And we went on this massive, beautiful honeymoon in South America, we went to Brazil, Argentina, like basically like, you know, like a baby minute, it's like your last chance saloon, like go somewhere where you know that you're not gonna be able to go with kids. And that's what we did for six weeks. And then we came back and I basically got pregnant that summer at a friend's wedding, actually. I didn't know I was pregnant at the time. And we came back from that big holiday and I was just really ill, but I just thought I was really hungover because we've just had six weeks of absolute debauch behavior. And then like, I was like, oh, hang on, where's my period? Oh my God, where's my period? And then I took a test and I was like, it was just bing, you know, straight away. Yeah. I was like, wow, we're pregnant. And then Zizzy arrives like nine months later. I think I heard you on another podcast saying that the baby bit you were okay with that first early bit, yeah. but then there was a period that you just felt really lonely and kind of resentful. And I think you'd moved to Samoa. And I thought that you described it in a way that I think when people are further down the line, they kind of go, oh, you know that it's tough, that some of it's tough. But I think for people yeah. when they're first coming into it, they don't necessarily know that lots of people find it really hard. How did you feel? Obviously, you know, like those initial weeks, months, you're just in absolute heaven, right? It really is a drug. I'd call it like the biggest happy pill, whatever you could call it. You know, you're waking up to feed your child and there's this rush of love and it's indescribable. It's just, it feels like the sun that's on my face right mm. now. And you get really teary and I'm feeling really emotional even saying it. It's just like, I made this, I, I made this human being and it smells, you know, that newborn smell and... You're like, wow. And like when they first smile and it's just like, wow. And like, you know, I'm being, I'm going to put it out there. My baby was beautiful. Like Susie <laughs> was just absolutely stunning. And you just like, you keep looking at down at this baby and you're like, I made this baby. And then we moved to Samoa when Susie was about, I think three, six months. Mm. I don't know. All that timelines kind of joke. But it was kind of early days. And here in Fiji, I basically had a really lovely community of people. Like I had great girlfriends. Not everyone had a baby, but it didn't matter. Like you just have a real crew. And then I also had a beautiful help. I had an amazing nanny. And here in Fiji, like the whole kind of nanny, like Fijian nannies are like, they're like your second mm. mom, you know? And so I had this amazing mm. network, Steph, and I had it all set up. And then Tim got transferred to Samoa with this UN job and we had to go. And so starting afresh, when you're that kind of early into a really delicate phase of life, mm was really tough. And I didn't really find my crew in Samoa. And I guess because I was like getting to grips of being a new mom and also like, I found it really small in Samoa. And I also found, I just couldn't get into my groove. Mm. I was left alone basically pretty much all the day mm. with Dizzy. And so I became really lonely and kind of resentful of our move. I'd have to mm. say, I became that kind of person who like, was like, it was like yappy puppy. By the time Tim would like come back from home, I'm like, hi, 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 how was your day? And like, you know, just nonstop talking and kind of like, he'd want to know about how Zizzy was. And I was like, I just want to talk to an adult. Mm. And I don't want to hear like baby shark or whatever we're watching at the time, like wiggles. I want, I want adult conversation mm. basically. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't really enjoying our time there. And then I started getting pregnant mm. and then the pregnancies weren't really working out. And so my mental health definitely started to struggle. Because again, when you're sort of like, you're busy with a child, but you're sort of then become quite fixated of like, why aren't these pregnancies kind of working out? 
But I was losing these babies quite early on. So I'd say there was like, they wouldn't go past like six weeks. So you kind of, you test and then, you know, and then suddenly like, you kind of get that cramp. I don't know if you've like mm. ever miscarried or anything, but you just get that cramp. And then you get that, oh my God, you go to try to the toilet and then there's like some blood and then it's just like, oh crap. And then, you know, you get full on bleed and then they're like, well, that didn't work out. When that kind of starts to happen a lot. Mm. And I'd say maybe twice before like the big, my big kind of twin pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes really, really kind of a sad space to be. Well, in the twin pregnancy, you were in Samoa at that point, right? And you had the scans and the yeah. guy was really matter of fact and was like, oh, well, there's only one heartbeat now. I mean, that sounds really Yeah, they were hard. brutal. I mean, I was like, Tim wasn't really game for like kind of coming with me to those first kind of scans because he was like, you know, if this is not going to work out. But then in my mind, I'm like, well, I kind of still need support because yeah. it's like, if it's not going to work out, I'd still like a friend mm. or husband to be with me anyway. And at this point, Tim is with me because I'd sort of basically just said to him, like, you've got to come with me. This I don't like this guy's bedside manner. And so imagine the shock that we both got when we we're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> twins? Yeah. Oh my God. And so I didn't know if I'd even had twins in my family or my on, on Tim's side. But we kind of were like, looked at each other. I mean, Tim went gray. He was like, whoa. <laughs> um, and lo and behold, we were like pregnant with twins. And so that basically explains the sickness that I was feeling. Because apparently, like, obviously you got double, you got two mm. on board. And so you're like, oh my goodness. It's just such a rush of hormones. Um, and I tell you what, Steph, it was like, again, it felt like I'd won the lottery. I was like, oh my word. And as a woman, as you can, t like, as you know, like you kind of like, you go, you go into like, your brain goes into third gear. You're like, wow, double prams. What life's going to be like? Is it going to be a boy or girl? Yeah. Is it going to be a girl girl? You're just like, wow. You're, I mean, you're picturing it's everything. It's siblings, isn't it? Because you you had Zizi already. So it's a, you'll get into your head. I guess you start to, well, you start to imagine everything. Yeah, you absolutely do. Mm. And you just imagine you're, you've got this team. You've got this, you've got this family. I mean, you know. You got your, your family of three and then you'd have to be upsized into family of five. Mm. I mean, and I'm from a big family. So having one child for me was never really an option. I was like, no, I want more than mm. that. And so twins, it's like, wow. And also, you know, kind of so embedded, I was like thinking to the, about the universe, like, well, oh, awesome. This is like with all the two miscarriages I've had before the twins, the universe is giving back mm. finally. Um, but then like we went back at like 12 weeks and one sack had basically collapsed. But then you're basically like hanging on to that one last sack. And just I just did it. You know, it's just like praying like just whoever, like universe, God, Allah, Buddha, like, please let this one little sack survive. But sadly, like a week later, I went back and like both twins had basically just died. Mm. There's nothing left. Mm. And then you started, you went down the IVF route, right? So that was the next kind of, on your motherhood journey that was well so what happened was the twins were no longer and so i wanted to miscarry them naturally but that wasn't really happening and so in the end they had to end up giving me they gave me the pills and then that didn't work tim was away for like he traveled a lot for work and so i ended up having a dnc once tim had got back because i was like well if i'm gonna have this surgery i want him to be back so someone to look after zizi and also someone to comfort me and then again, because I was fixated about having babies step, I was mm -hmm. like, right, well, I want my babies. I want a baby. After all of this, I want a baby. And so then we started like trying pretty much straight away. But uh, my periods were not right. There just was something not right. And you know, as a woman, you know when your body's just not mm -hmm. right. Um, and so I basically started doctor Googling. And then um, I understood that I had this 
this thing called Ashman syndrome, pretty much. And so um, it's basically scarring of the uterus, which basically, I don't think women are told this when they're going in for these DNCs that like, there is a quite of a high chance of you basically getting scarring of the uterus. And that's what I had. And what usually happens is that like, you're basically can't have a baby because there's nowhere can't sort of fresh or safe for your baby to attach. Right. And so that's what I basically, I, I, I was convinced I had. And so there's only three people in the world at the time that could basically fix it. And one of them was based in Sydney, Australia. And because of where I, my location where I was in Samoa, I was like, well, I'm going to fly there. And so I did. And then um, two surgeries later, they'd fixed me. But then my remaining tube was basically screwed, mm. they said. They didn't really give much of how or why. They were like, it's just, it's not, yeah. So we're going to have to have IVF. Oh, my God. Mm. So imagine this journey, this roller coaster stuff. I was like, wow. And how were you, were you still at this point? Because you've mentioned kind of feeling really low and depressed. But this is so much for your head to take on. Like, And also, like you say, it's become this kind of fixation of, but I want to have babies. So that must have been really hard to balance everything else as well and still hold a relationship and friendships. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the marriage definitely took a mm. hit because I'm grieving, I'm emotional, I'm semi-depressed, mm. but I'm also fixated about having a baby. Mm. Men grieve differently, right? And what was happening was that, like, because Tim was away a lot, and when he was back, I, I he just didn't want to talk about this stuff at all. Um, and also, I think he was basically quite set on just like, let's just pretend this never really happened mm. and have this happy life of Sissy. And let's also just like be grateful for what we have. And I totally get that. But at the same time, as a woman, you're just, I, I wanted to have a baby. I just was obsessed about having a baby. Mm. And so we were definitely on completely different planes in terms of like what we wanted in life. And we weren't talking about it every time we sort of maybe wanted to talk about it or I wanted to talk about it. It was almost like it was shut down. Do you know what I mean? But I think, because I think it was that's like... really common. I've, I know quite a few friends that, that where that's happened where and it has generally been Ooh. the woman wants a baby and her partner. Yeah. They, but they stop talking to each other about it. So it becomes this massive Absolutely. elephant in the room. Then it's so fundamental because obviously yeah. everything is linked to it. And you're, when you're talking about your future or Absolutely. you're having sex or like it's all linked, isn't it? So yeah. that's such a lot. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. As funny as you bring that up, Steph. So like sex becomes really functional. Mm. And I think that's also that was kind of playing and well it's just like Tim felt like he was just basically like a shag machine a baby yeah. machine well especially because probably there's certain times when the woman knows what's going like her body's ripe and you're like yep now oh my now God, you know. but then they know that you're only one right. <laughs> so that's really difficult. absolutely I remember there was one time we were like going for a drive and I was like you know I had one of those ovulation apps we were going for a drive. We were literally basically had to veer around. Like, <laughs> I was like, it's on. It is it's on. It's not sexy, like, let's is go. It? It's not. It's, yeah. There's nothing sexy about no. it. But I, I just don't think as a woman, we're thinking rationally at this point. Mm. We are, we are like, I just want a baby. And it becomes really hormonal. Mm. Like, and you know, you know, you learn so much about your cycle as well. Like, I didn't know anything about all this. Like, you know, what was it? Fertile mucus. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. god! And then you realize, oh, that's why I'm really horny at that time. Of yeah, and also um, there's you just basically you want to. You also realize there's so much time where you couldn't have got pregnant, and you spent most of your teens going like, oh god, I'm gonna. I know. <laughs> You've got like a tiny window. Really like, yeah. yeah. I know, really, I like really tiny yeah. window, and so. Once your app goes, beep, yeah, you're on. You know, and you got that glue. It's on, baby. <laughs> so, um, and so yeah, and so definitely the marriage, like there was definitely marriage strains, mm. and like 
you know, and friend, let's, yeah, let's definitely like tap into the friendship thing because suddenly when you're losing babies, suddenly all your friends are having babies and suddenly all the celebrities are having babies mm. and you're like, are you serious? And it really can, again, put a strain on all those relationships. I mean, I remember sort of just like, oh, you know, every time, you know, there's a WhatsApp message, you're like, I really hope it's not a pregnancy announcement. Mm. Um, I don't know what I would have done if there was like going to christenings and baby showers. Uh, I mean, looking back now, I think I probably would have, done that but like the Sarah I am today I just would have now kind of just said I'm sorry I'm really like struggling so I love you so much and when I'm feeling better I'll I'll sort of surface well I think but right now I can't you said I've you've said it's like it was like a guttural jealousy that was kind of and and you're everyone around you having babies and you're mourning a future that you have thought a number of times you have and then it's been taken away from you yeah and you don't want to have that feeling, do you? You don't want to, mm. you know, you don't want to be jealous mm. and be like, Ugh. but at the same time, it's again, we're only human guys. Mm. We are literally only human. And a lot of the stuff is kind of irrational, irrational. And it's about sort of working through those kind of feelings. But in the, in the moment, of course you're not, you're not thinking rationally. Mm. So yeah, then when, and so then I was like, we're doing IVF. And Tim was like, really? He's like, can we not just wait and see, get a second opinion? I'm like, mate, because then also, it's all right for men to say, oh, can we just wait? For women, our biological clock is like tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. And so I'm like, no, I want to do it now, you know? And so we started IVF and I got really good. I got really good embryos. Um, we got five-day embryos and it was just all looking really good. And do you know what? I hate needles, Steph. I absolutely mm. hate needles. And I was petrified at the point of the fact of the idea of basically like injecting myself. But in the end, I actually got quite a buzz out of it. I don't know what it was, but I got really, I'm kind of a routine person. And like, mm. if I've got like a goal and like I set a goal, I'm like, right. So I remember just being like, right, this is it. I'm gonna eat really well, eat, sleep really well. Um, we really, we relocated to Melbourne and I really got into it. But like, sadly, like again, you know, you think you're doing really well and you know, your IVF doctor's like, oh, this is a beautiful embryo. It's going in, it's gonna be amazing. Nah. And again, the bedside manner or like telephone manner of like the lady giving you the results. It's like, oh, it's not good news. I mean, that's how they start. Mm. Oh, it's not good news. How can you do that? When that was happening, did you kind of each time, you know, obviously you thought this is going to happen or this is going to be it. But did you allow yourself to kind of think ahead or were you really controlled in not believing after going through so much already? I felt like it was almost like a lottery. In my head, I was like, We've got five really good embryos, right? One of them has got to work. And so I think that was the kind of headspace I was going in. And so each time I sort of got a knock back, it was like, sorry, it's negative. Your IVF doctor wants to have a word with you because that's how it kind of works. And you do kind of feel like it's a revolving door kind of thing. Anyone listening to this and who's been through IVF will kind of understand. Like you feel like you're kind of on a conveyor belt. The whole kind of process is like that. You know, you're kind of like your battery chickens going in. And you got to be kind of strong to mm. go through it. I have to say, mm. you're sitting in these IVF sort of rooms, like, you know, waiting and no one's happy in that room. No one's got eye contact. There's no warmth at all because you are at that stage in this IVF because you've been through something really tough. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you go in there and they spread your legs and they put machines up your chuff and, you mm. know, oh, it's looking good in there. You know, it's looking ripe and la, 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 la. And then, so yeah, we went down, we got down to like our fourth embryo because the last three rounds had sort of not worked. So we're down to the fourth. And so it was coming up to Christmas time and I just lost my brother. Mm. 
And so we were like, okay, do you know what? Let's fly mum over for Christmas. Mm. She's uh, she's had a really rough year. And it'd be really nice distraction for her. And we were also flying Tim's family over too. And I was like, well, why don't I just basically nip over to Melbourne, Tim? And let's let's try it. So I basically was timing it because you can. That's the thing. It's all it's so mechanical, the stuff. You can time it all, all, this, all at once. And so I was like, why don't I fly over? And then we we transfer. And so like... The timing would be that we'd basically find out Christmas Day whether or not we've, you know, I'm pregnant. Oh God. He's like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, come on, let's do it. He's like, okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think by this time, he's like, you know what, Missy? You just do what you do, right? You know, I'm happy, whatever you're happy with. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So mum flew over, I flew out, all's going well. I came out this yoga practice and then, and then went to check my phone and then all hell, basically, just things turned really sour it was basically a kind of a call home sos and then i got notification that um tim had died god and it was completely unexpected right it was just a it was a heart attack completely unexpected really really awful bad serious heart attack yeah i mean there was no way he could have been revived mum found him of all sick jokes yeah. mum was the one she that just lost her him. son like eight months um, before she just lost her son i mean <laughs> It's when you kind of look and you're like, really? Yeah. Um, and also because I just lost my brother, when I went to start WhatsApping my friends, everyone was like, no, you're Sarah. What are you saying? Because you just WhatsApped us about James, which was four months ago. So they all thought this was a really sick joke. Mm. Um, I was like, no. Yeah, the world went really, really dark then. And so you had to get home. It's Christmas. Your family are there. Your son, yeah. your son's there. Oh God, yeah. So he was, I think, son's there. He's three, was he? He's three and a half. Yeah, yeah. He was three and a half, and it was just you're just in shock because Tim worked for the UN. I mean, everything was just slick in terms of like it happens. You're told you're on the next flight, and you arrive into Nasori Airport, and you've watched Coming to America. Yeah. And it's basically a scene like that in terms of like the kind of the convoy without the rose petals, <laughs> without the ladies with the rose petals. It's basically that. You've got like motor, motorcade and like blacked out window, you know, like far out. I felt like I was like Michelle Obama. Um, and then, and I, up until that point as well, I, I was kind of like, well, no, there's no way this has happened. How is this even happening? It must be a sick joke. And I tried to call Tim on his phone, but it was not picking up. But I thought, you know, like he was kind of Superman for me. Like he was my Superman. And I was like, I remember like screaming at him. I'm like, God, I fucking died. What the fuck? I just can't say what the fuck so many times. But it's only until I'd seen the motorcade and mum kind of sort of like waving, kind of like, uh-uh. That's when I was like, wow, this really is happening. Oh my God. Oh my but God. Well, it must be a complete assault on every single sense because in most cases, you'd get some warning, but also, or you would have been, you would have been there. So you would sort of know, you know, it's happening, but because you were removed from it slightly, I imagine yeah. that made it. I was. Would, must've been a massive trauma, really. It was beyond yeah. trauma. And the thing is, because I was still recovering, I hadn't even recovered from James. I was still trying to compute the fact that my brother yeah. had died. And, you know, and I'm trying to be strong for my mum who we've just phoned over. And then suddenly she's found her son-in-law dead. And then we've got our sons, my son, Zizzy. But I'm also, I'm trying to bring new life into the world. Mm. Jesus Christ. And then it's Christmas. And then it's like, I'm staying with his parents. And so I'm having to tell them. I then tell the siblings. I was on the way to see the siblings for dinner. 
It was just mad. And then instead of like, you know, planning a Christmas, you're planning a funeral. That's so much. I don't think I had time to really think no. about what was going on. You just go into like survival mode. That's all I thought about Steph was like, I need to get back to Zizzy. Yeah. I need yeah. to get back to Zizzy like now. Yeah. Like, where is Zizzy? I remember thinking, where is Zizzy? And when I landed, it was nighttime. I was like, I want Zizzy. And my mum's like, I think you need a night on your mm. own, but you need like the next eight hours to basically get your shit together mm. because once we bring him to you, it's going to be game on. Like you're going to have to kind of go into mum mode. So you need to kind of gather yourself in whatever way that means. Yeah, like God, you just need to basically just gather yeah. it all. And how would, how do you start? I mean, yeah. but, and, and um, you said oh about that Julius, was it Julius Samuel that you, I don't know if, if you read it at that point or you, or this is kind of retrospectively, but you're saying that you're about having to be really straight with your son. Well, do you know, it's because of James had died that summer. I was given lots of books, Julius Samuel, Grief Works, right? And that is a brilliant book for anyone listening to this mm. and is in grief and is in full grief. Grief Works by Julius Samuels is incredible. And also she's just an incredible tool to speak to and follow on, on Instagram. And so I'd been reading her book for James, yeah? Mm. And weirdly, Joe Cox, the, the wife of Brendan mm. Cox, had been murdered that same year. Right. I think so. Yeah. Because Brendan Cox had written more in common. So I'd also picked up that picked up his book. Right. And I was reading that book. But between the two books, Steph, there was so much information about not only how to basically deal with grief, but also how to talk to children about grief. And I think I'd started to read it more so for, to talk to Zizzy about the death of his yeah, uncle, because yeah. obviously it's like Uncle James has died. Oh my God, it was just such a godsend that I basically read those books because Julia Samuel talks about how you need to be literally upfront with children mm. and the language has to be cutthroat. Mm. Like you, there's no fluffing about, about, oh yeah, suddenly they've gone on a holiday or there's suddenly a butterfly or like, no, 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 no. Literally, so-and-so is dead, mm. pretty much. And Brendan Cox talks very openly. I think he actually, when he got the call that um, Joe had basically been shot, oh my God, he was away somewhere and he basically got in the, jumped to the car and he basically got on the call with Julia Samuel. And so she was guiding him through right. this whole process right. of like how to talk to the children. And so he talks a lot about that. And I swear to God, I look back now and like, thank God I had those books because whatever they did, whatever Joe did, whatever Brendan did, whatever Julia Samuel said, I basically copied mm. it down to mm. a T. You know, from like, you know, taking the child to see the body. I mean, it's not for everyone. I'd never really seen a body up close like that. And I, I was like, oh, but Zizzy started asking about where his father was. Pretty much as soon as I, I mean, I had to be the one that told mm. him that Tim was dead. And so that night when Tim died and mum was like, gather your thoughts. I basically stayed up rereading those chapters, basically memorizing it. So I can be like, as soon as Zizzy gets through, comes through the door, it's like, we're game on, mm. you know? And I did it. I basically did everything. And I, till this day, I have zero regrets because Zizzy knows where his father is. Do you mm. know what I mean? It might not be for everyone, but for me, it really worked. I guess um, the bit that we do when we tell kids about anything that's kind of, sad or painful we're thinking of how we yeah. would interpret it so we're kind of trying to protect them from feeling what we feel but because they're kids they don't have that same emotional level where they're they're not going to feel no. the pain that we feel it's a different it's different isn't it yeah but you know what there's two things to this Steph and like I've been having kind of gone through mm. it so like kids can have pets right it's about the circle of life and mm. so 
you got a family pet, right? And so what is it that you're going to say to that child when the pet dies? Like, are you going to say that like, oh, they just went for a walk and they're not coming mm. back? Somewhere along the lines, you know, like in the West, we've kind of got it wrong, mm. I think, when it comes to sort of like how we celebrate life and death. Because I think we've just money cuddled the whole thing to the point where now it's like we are. We want to monocle our children and like protect them from like knowing some bad mm. stuff. But I'm sorry, no. Because it's a fact of life. We are going to all die. When you did on your Instagram recently, you did a post about grief. And I think you said there's seven things to deal with grief. And you said, because bottom line, it's fucking life. <laughs> As in grieving is part of life. And you're right. And we act like it's not. It's just, and, it's like, and it's literally the only thing that's going to happen to every single person. It's a guaranteed. Yeah. Once you're out of the tummy or the fanny, you're going to die. That's a guaranteed way. Mm. Like there's only one way in, one way out. And I think like, you know, like I I see the way people here in Fiji um, and also in Uganda culture, like the way they celebrate death, like someone's death, like they celebrate life, you celebrate Mm. death. And it's like, it's beautiful and it's not scary. You know, like, you know, the whole family involved, you go and see the body, the body spends its last night in the house. There's nothing scary about Mm. it. And it just means there's singing. And of course, there's going to be tears, but it just means that part of their life is celebrated. Mm. And there's something really beautiful about it. And I feel that like we've got it wrong. And I think that we need to do better at it. Do you know what Mm. I mean? And I think when we've got things like pandemics and like the current war going on and kids are going to be seeing some scary ass things and they're going to be hearing about death and that like, this is the opportune time for us to be having these hard conversations Mm. about death with our children. If we can have pets and we can bury them in the garden and the kids have got these flowers and all these kind of rituals, why can't we have that as well with the Mm. humans? Rather than they hide them from it. When they're kids. Yeah. I mean, they talk about when Prince Harry and William lost the mum, Prince Diana, they like got rid of all the newspapers, Mm. everything. It's almost like it didn't happen. Yet these children, these two boys had to like walk behind her coffin Mm. in front of millions of people. Mm. And like, can you imagine how that would have felt? And I have got friends who've lost parents. And like one friend was basically shipped off to boarding school the next day. It was like, it almost didn't Mm. happen. And like another friend, it was like, it was never talked about. And I'm telling you, later on down the line, they were really messed up. It has to come back at some point, doesn't it? I think there was a couple of things I wanted to ask you about because you've talked about the difference of people around you from your brother and partner dying and like the support to the difference of experiencing baby loss and how that was the loneliest grief in the world. And was that mostly because of other people, of how other people reacted Grieving baby loss is definitely one of the most loneliest places you could possibly mm. be. Yet what blows my mind, Steph, is that miscarriage is so common. Mm. It wasn't until I lost, I had my first miscarriage and I basically started to talk about it openly that I realized so many people have lost mm. babies. And I was thinking, and I even saying to them, oh my God, you and you and you and you, and well, how come we're not talking about mm. it? And I think it's because there's so much, there's, for some reason, there's so much shame around it. And I don't know why. As women, we really mess ourselves up from this because I think if we were able to reach out when it happens, mm. oh my God, it could just be life-changing for so many mm. of us. So many of us, you don't need to suffer silently. Like I remember like my first, or even my, my topic, 
I was, I felt shame. It was like my body has let me mm. down. And this one thing that as women, we're primed, we're told, you got to have a baby. Mm. Like, you know, the baby, like, you know, had a baby. Oh my God, you're not a woman, which thankfully now the narrative is changing because not everyone wants a mm. child. Not everyone can have a child. And so the narrative is changing. Thank the Lord, you know? And so, yes, it was so lonely. And the only people that are maybe started to, talk about it were actually celebrities. I remember like starting to read stories in like the daily shame, the daily fail. And I'm like, Oh wow. So that happened to you Mm. too. And you feel less alone. And that's all you want because men and women grieve differently when it comes to miscarriage. Mm. Okay. And so like more so than not, and which is what I found speaking to girlfriends is that the wording that you're going to want, you're not going to find from your husband because actually they're grieving Mm. differently as well. Mm. They are grieving. They might not be able to show it, but they are grieving and they're not able to sort of express that. They want to protect you and love you and anything. They want to basically like shove it under the carpet. I remember Tim just don't wanting to talk about it. He's just like, I don't want to upset you. I don't want to see you crying and ugly crying and all that kind of stuff. So I think if women, if we were able to talk about it more, oh my God, it would just solve so much. And that's why this summer we've got Pippa Vosper. I'm in Pippa Vosper's book and she's got this collection of stories from various women, different people from Elizabeth Day, Jules Oliver, she's got me in the middle, just like, oh my God, I feel so honored. But it's like, we're going to be talking openly about our experiences of like trying to have babies and motherhood because it's not always easy. Mm. It's not. And what I love about what Pippa's done is that she's got this collective group of women to talk openly about it and our experiences and not just about the baby loss, but our experiences with like the kind of the care that we got in hospitals, which a lot of the time is crap. Mm. Absolutely crap. You've mentioned the different types of people in grief and the kind of sinking or swimming. And it sounds, I think I've read that you kind of were like, well, I need to kind of honour this. And we had Stacey Heal on the podcast. And so her husband had died three months before I spoke with her. And but she'd had he'd been diagnosed like five years before. So she'd had this really long process. She kind of says now I promised that I wouldn't die with him. And it feels like you almost Mm. have that same value, even though it's obviously a very different experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a lifist, Mm. yeah. And what happened to me, it's a lot and it's huge, huge. But you know what? Grief and sadness is boring. Being in that kind of space after a while, it's like, I got kind of like sick of feeling sad, I think. I was just like, if I don't get out of this funk, I'm going to get really ill. Mm. And I'm looking at my son and I'm like, you know what? He's lost his father. Mm. He can't have a, like a depressed mum, mm. um, a really sad mum. Like I owe it to him and I owe it to myself to kind of live life, Steph. And so that's what I decided to do. I was like, you know what? And if anything, Tim wouldn't want us to be sad all the time. Mm. You know, like, yes, allow yourself to grieve because grief as well, it's not going to ever leave you. It's going to be inside you. And grief is a sign of that you've loved someone. Mm. And how beautiful of a way, like as much as it's a hard emotion, but what a beautiful emotion in that it's a sign that you loved someone, you know? And so what I decided was to live and live good and live well and live happy as much as possible. And that's not to say that I don't have sad days. Of course I have sad yeah. days. Of course I do. But we, you know, we honor, we honor Tim when it's his birthday. We honor him. Well, I'm also his birthdays, anniversary of his death, less so, because I don't really want to take myself back to that really awful day. So I don't really mm. honor the day he died. I, I almost think like nah. But those days when it's like his birthday or the sun shining or there's rainbows or there's signs that he's kind of sent. Hell yeah, I'm going to take that. You know, there's something 
Goods happen. Do you know what helped really like get me out of these funks mm. was I think it was when James died. It was like I was lying on mum's couch and I felt physically sick. I was just like consumed with it because that's what grief does. It's just, it's the most consuming oh, emotion possible. Mm. But I was lying on my couch and the sun was shining through. And I remember feeling nice, warmth. And I remember reading somewhere, and I think it might have been in Julia Samuel's book or somewhere, about every day when you're in a funk, write down three things that have made you really, that have made you smile or happy. And so I remember just getting like my notepad and, like, and my pen, and I wrote it down. Number one, sunshine on my face. And then later on, a girlfriend of mine, Fran, um, came around with her newborn, and she'd lost her mum, like, I think, like, months or maybe, like, a year ago. And so she's like, come on. Missy, come on, Sarah, we're going to go for a walk. And so we did. We got buggy and we basically walked in silence, just walked. And it was the most amazing thing ever. Mm -hmm. Anything that anyone could do for me was literally just be like, get up, let's walk. Because movement, all of And so that end that night, I said, I wrote in my notepad, walking. And then the third thing was a friend came around and just basically held my hand while I just cried. Mm -hmm. So that was the third thing. So those three things that day, the sun shining on my face, going for a walk with a loved one and then just having a friend just hold my hand. And that day I basically started journaling three things every day that made me happy. And I'm actually feeling quite emotional mm. saying it because I feel like a rush of love and remembering that time and just feeling like the way I was feeling then to how I'm feeling now is so mm. different. And I just want anyone hearing this to say, listen, and just know that, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it might not feel it all the time. Mm. And it is going to be really intense in those initial months, big time. And there'll be moments where that grief feeling will come back to you and absolutely kick you up the ass. But there are going to be moments also of joy and gratitude and just practice gratitude in your life. And I swear to God, you will be sounding like me. And <laughs> believe me, I've had multiple losses. Yeah. So this is coming from someone. What? With some real experience. And I think you said as well, um, just get in that early bit when someone can't even maybe think beyond getting a bit of paper and pen and writing something down, but it's just get through the next five minutes. Just get through the next five minutes. Yeah. And I just thought I can imagine oh that my God, being yeah. really something you need to hear. Steph, yes. You don't even think about how am I going to get through the mm. day, honey? If you can even get up, that is like a big tick, Yeah. Because some days you're not going to want to get up because you get up and there's this thing where once you grieve and anyone listening is grieved knows you get up and for that split second, the universe gives you a little bit of a reprieve and you're like, you forget, you don't even know what, you can't remember what's happened. And then it hits you bang, and then you remember. And it's like this elephant sits on your chest and you want to like be sick or pass out. It's that, it's that really intense and that feeling of, remembering what has happened. And it just almost crushes you back to your bed. But believe me, let that wash over you mm. and then try and get up again. I mean, there were moments, there were times when my mom actually had to carry me to the shower to wash me. And this is a grown woman, my mother carrying me to the shower. And I would start this guttural scream, like cry. Mm. And this is my mom is strong and she's been for a lot. And she'd basically have to leave me on the floor of the shower and because she couldn't even take it. She was like, oh, my God. And I and I would scream, but then she'd leave me for half an hour and then I'd suddenly be so kind of screamed out, guttural screaming out, and I'd be okay. And I think you have to allow yourself these moments, you know, the ugly screaming, the ugly crying, the snot, 
the shouting out. I mean, I'd shout out all sorts of obscenities to the, to the ocean or I'd scream into a pillow, mm. whatever mm. it takes, do it. But one thing I would say is like, try and avoid drinking or doing whatever. Cause I, I, with James, I didn't. And with Tim as well, I just found that like, it really doesn't help. I mean, I'm now on a new sort of road to sobriety, which is a whole new, that's a whole podcast in mm. itself. But I think because you're in a really bad spot and we, you know, we tend to want to basically just grab anything that might feel like a release. Mm. Uh, Alcohol for me, I mean, a few times, I I remember like drank, maybe I drank at both the funerals because you do, you're like, okay, why not? Because everyone's like, you know, you need a drink. Mm. But you wake up the next day and you feel first hungover. And then all those other feelings that like I'm, I, I remind, like I just said, that you wake up and for a split second, you can't remember what's happened. And then you remember. And it's just the worst feeling to be hung over the anxiety and you're grieving. Yeah. Oh, yuck. So try and avoid that if you can. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that sounds like really sensible advice. And then I want to talk about what Sarah read next, because what I, li- what I really liked hearing about actually was that you left a 20 year career in international development. But the process to do that, we've had Annie McManus on, so that episode's coming soon. But there was a really similar process, which was you stopping and going, right, what does success look like? Let me look, pause and look at it all. And what do I actually want from life? Can you talk me through that? So I studied international development from like get go. I always knew I wanted to work in sort of like humanities. Coming from Uganda, even though I sort of like left when I was 18 months, I just had this kind of like... How can I describe it? I just wanted to help people, mm-hmm. I guess. And I guess maybe it had something to do with not just my personality, but, you know, like on our screens, we just kept seeing, you know, like, oh, the poor people from Africa, mm-hmm. they needed helping and stuff. But, and like at times when we'd go back to Uganda, you know, just seeing like cousins, just we'd, we'd be so spoiled with things that we had. And I don't know, there was just things that just clicked in my head where I was like, I wanted, I wanted to just help. And so when I was 16, I went to the UN and I was like, I want to work for you. And I just sent this whole letter back going, well, then you're going to need five languages and all this <laughs> stuff. It's like, okay, don't have five languages or whatever. But I, I kind of kept on that sort of trajectory. And I've always worked in that kind of field. But then when Tim died and James died and, you know, the Ivy left losses mm. and, and then COVID basically started to mm, kind was, of yeah. kick in, I really had a moment of clarity, Steph, where I was like, hang on. What actually am I doing? I was in a job that it was just like, I wasn't really enjoying it anymore. I wasn't getting out into the field and actually being on the ground and seeing the people that like were trying to impact. I was basically pushing paper right. and that's just not me. And I wasn't seeing my son so much. He was just suddenly like, my son was just growing and I was barely seeing him. He's at school and nannies, I'd come home and then suddenly it's just bedtime. I'm like, what am I actually doing? Mm. And you know, books have always been my sort of like my go-to. It's just been the space where I go to basically just run away when life and just the world is just too insane. And so I'd basically set up what Sarah read next, not long after Tim died. And, you know, I'd read a book and I'd write a review and then suddenly people were like reading it. They were actually reading and commenting and liking what I was doing. I was like, wow, okay. And so when COVID hit, and borders are shutting down. And like my work just got actually, instead of like my work basically calming itself down, the work was ramping up, despite the fact that the world was falling apart and we were all scared. Mm. I mean, I remember there was a moment I went into work and I was almost having a near panic attack. And I spoke to my female boss and it's always the females. I don't know what it is, like why we don't support each other sometimes. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, 
And I was freaking out. And I was like, this thing is happening, this virus. And I was like, oh, and then she basically was just like, are you okay, Sarah? Like basically making out to me to being like freaking mentally in- unstable. And that was it, Steph. Tra- I was like, Over-dramatizing right. this thing. I picked up my bag. <laughs> just basically, I mean, I, I can be a drama queen, but I'm like, there really this is a virus coming one, yeah. and it's shutting down the yeah. world. This is a big deal. Anyway, I, I picked up my bag and I never, I never went back to the office again. Wow. And then I just basically decided to throw all my energies into what Sarah read next. Which looks like it's working. Yeah, man. So you've just announced that you're doing Happy Place Official. So you're involved with that. I am. I'm now partnered up with Fern's beautiful Bam Bam, the Happy Place Official. So I'm going to be basically doing a book review once a month with a reel. That's such a good fit for you as well. That's very cool. It's an amazing fit. And it's so funny because I've obviously been following her work for so Mm. long. I love what she does and I love her journey as well into spirituality and sort of, you know, just uh, getting us all to think about what is it we're doing here and like the bigger picture, Mm. um, which is her new book, you know, Bigger Than Us. And there's more out there than we're kind of seeing on the naked eye. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And then I'm also loving, you know, all the different authors that I have in my space. Mm. Bookstagram is becoming a massive, well, it is a massive thing, isn't it? The kind of resurgence of books and authors and writing and then... I know, suddenly everyone is knowing that books are cool. I love that. Yeah, I've been here waiting Um, for you all. You know, books are cool. I know, where have you been? Like, you know, welcome to my world. Um, And also like the sort of calibre of books as well. I mean, I want to keep pushing and more so push like books that are sort of like diverse Mm -hmm. And are sort of written by people that might not kind of get a second chance. But I also will keep pushing like freaking amazing books. If I get pushed a book that it's just like, boom, like hits me like mm. that. My God, you're going to know about it. And then I'm going to also like reach out to the author, which is really cool. And then also I've just signed up with Mission Entertainment. I'm going to be writing my story, yeah. which is like really exciting. Yeah. And do you, like with all this stuff going on, the podcast, we talk about the rush hour and the overwhelm and a thing that kind of lots of women at our stage where you might have children and you've got, you know, balancing work and you're balancing your responsibilities and all that stuff. Do you feel that overwhelm? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely starting to just because there's a lot more projects coming mm. on board. What I'm doing now is actually basically waking up earlier than usual just to fit in more reading. So before it was like, so I could smash out four or five books a month. And so, and also I want to kind of still be there for Zizzy. Like I want to do the school drop-offs. Yeah. I want to do yeah. the school pickups. I do have help. I have like a part-time nanny who also helps us clean. And I need that. As a single mom, I need that. And I've got no shame of just basically being like, yeah, I'm no savior. And if I want to produce quality work and be as present as I can for my son, then I'm going to do that. And also in amongst all of that as well, I'm quite militant about getting time to myself. Like if I can kind of push in even half an hour, 45 minutes a day, do it. And I know, you know, some mums listening to this might not be able to do it, but like even half an hour, like it just really makes a difference. So it just means I'm going to bed earlier, waking up earlier. And because I'm on this new journey of sobriety, that feels really good. So I've got much clearer head and it just means I've got a lot more energy to do stuff. So yeah, I'm feeling, going back to your question, I am feeling the juggle, um, but I'm also so excited for all the amazingness to come. It's just that watch out, isn't it? When you know that you could just go hell for leather and then you're like, that's not what I was doing this for. It's that balance, but it's really difficult when it's exciting. It's really difficult. 
It is. And it's especially exciting, especially with everything that's rolling in that you really want to yeah. do. But I think out of all of this, I love just being my own boss. I love mm. being able to basically pick and choose what I want to do, when I want to do it. That's for me, has been actually one of the key things to come out of this whole leave my nine to five and basically pursue my passion books mm. and make a living out of it. I mean, bam. And you know, People like, oh, you know, I get people like asking, oh, you know, how much are you getting paid? Which I think is actually mm. rude because it's like, I've never asked anyone, mm. like, where I'm from culture, like, like people just don't do it. But it's like, how much, how much money do you realistically want to earn to be happy? You know, if we're going back into the happy happiness index, like I got a roof over my head. I can buy food that I want. I got water and this a day and age and like what we're living mm. through right now. Mm. Like if you've just got the basics right now, I think you're doing okay. Well, I imagine that you've had so much, you've been through so much that that must give you a perspective that not necessarily everyone would have, right? That you can call on. You might not have it all the time because that's not realistic, but you can call on that when you are yeah. like, do I want to be doing this? No, absolutely. And I and I say to Susie, and I said this in the Red magazine, like I sort of instill whatever like matches I have for myself, I instill in my son. Some of our life here feels Disneylandish, you know, like, I mean, I wasn't going on holidays for like, until I was like, what, 10? And even then it was like the Isle of Wight and it was a proper basic holiday. Love you, mum, but it was basic. <laughs> yeah. And so like, Zizi, in comparison, I mean, we'll go away for the weekend, like to a resort. And it's literally like, it's just like a Disneyland, mm. you know? And this is kind of like, you know, holidays that, you know, outside of Fiji life, he would, he's not going to have. Mm. He's just not going to mm. have. So I say to him, like, you know, lap it up, darling, because in the real world, you're going to be doing a lot more chores. <laughs> um, we're not going to have holidays like once a month type thing. But I guess it's like the lifestyle that I chose to have here, mm. you know, for that time. And Fiji's been an amazing, amazing space for us to kind of have Zizi, you know, he was born here. So have him here as a young child and also be a beautiful space for us to grieve as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better place to be. The Fijians are the most friendliest people on the planet. They are really there with you with the kind of the grief journey. And so for that, I'm like forever, forever, forever grateful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm excited for you for what's happening next. And just thank you, because I think there's, there's yeah. so much in there, especially around grief and baby loss and talking to your children that people will definitely take something from more and more it's great i'm sort of seeing how i can sort of use my yeah. experience to kind of you know leverage and chat to people and kind of and help and that's for me again like you know if i'm choosing sort of like what i've decided to do like what what better yeah. way to do that you know like if that's that's what the universe has decided i'm supposed to do then so be it bring it thank you to Sarah who is such a force um, have a look at what Sarah read next on Instagram she has loads of exciting things coming up um, she's also doing a giveaway next week of our new Don't Buy Her Flowers book subscription package so if you follow her you'll be able to see that come up and I've got my four-year-old's birthday party this weekend which was delayed from last year because of Covid um, it's pirate themed he has dressed as a pirate pretty much every day for well over a year <laughs> the obsession doesn't seem to be ending. Uh, so I'll be knee deep in sandwiches and chopped up carrot and cucumber that you know no one will eat, but I'll eat for the next three weeks. But 
you've offered it and then everyone feels like a slightly better parent for offering some sort of vegetable um if you've enjoyed this or any episodes please rate and review the podcast on itunes and next week we've got annie mcmanus who is fabulous so please come back for that and i hope you have a good week and just don't forget to breathe Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.